Yo, it's your boy King Dave here, and this is the Fallon Show. Hope all is going well. Um, how about you introduce yourself and where you're from? Um, yeah, hi, my name's Susanna Margarita Samuelu. Um, I'm, I was born in Auckland, New Zealand um, in 1986, and um, my father was already in Australia um, a year before my mother and I flew over to Sydney in 1988. Um, so I grew up in the southwest Sydney um, in Punchbowl, Bankstown, Wally Park and Padstow for 12 years. Then at the age of um, 18, um, my parents decided to move to the western Sydney in Penrith and surrounding suburbs where I lived before going into incarceration and getting deported back to New Zealand in 2019. Oh, all right. So, um, yeah, this is Susanna. Um, this is awesome as well. My first uh, female guest, the first of many, though, the first of many. Well, I thought I'd mix it mm-hmm. up and uh, get a different perspective. So, um, yeah, so as you can see here, um, she was born here in New Zealand. She moved to Sydney, um, unfortunately ended up sort of in a life of crime, uh, was incarcerated. And I uh, was eventually sent back here to New Zealand. So she's doing a lot of positive things now, man. She's studying in theology and uni. Um, she's part of a uh, church group. Sorry, what was the name of that? Um, uh, Just Jesus Ministry. The Just Jesus Ministry. So she's doing a lot of positive things. Uh, she's trying to get into, um, well, she will be um, a prison chaplain um, and preaching the word of God to uh, the prisoners, to the people in captivity at the moment, unfortunately. Well, um, yeah, so how about you start us off? So you were born here in Auckland, and when did you move to Sydney? How old? Um, in 1988 with my mum. So how old were you then? Still a baby, isn't it? Uh, so I was around about one and a half, two years old. Yeah, so you grew up in Sydney. So, um, mm. so yeah, sorry. So you grew up in Sydney. So whereabouts did you grow up Um when you first went there, sort of your earliest childhood memories? Yeah, so I grew up in um, Bankstown. Oh, sorry, Punchbowl was the first area I grew up in. Um, and then we moved to Bankstown, Wally Park, and then um, Padstow. And then we lived, so we lived in the southwest suburbs for 12 years. Southwest Sydney. Then, so, so, can I, so, what, so can you sort of paint a picture of what growing up in Southwest Sydney is like for a young woman and for a young girl? Um, yeah, so growing up um, was a physical and mental abuse that my mother and I had to go through um, for years with my father. Um, he was an alcoholic and gambler. Oh, um, yeah. Not only being victim to it, at such a young age with my mother, but um, also witnessing my mother go through what she went through left me um, traumatised until I was born again. Um, So getting through the effects it had on me, um, uh, the emotions um, and feelings, um, the pain and suffering that would always be there and trying to lose memory of it from childhood um, up until adulthood would would probably have been my biggest challenge. Yeah. Yeah. In life. Um yeah, so um I was sexually molested at a young age, um, at around about nine years old. Um, and no one believed me. Um, I think that's when my life as an individual um started going downhill. Um and I started being rebellious. Um it was child knowing um, how to deal with it, let alone um, how to deal with no one believing me. Um, So it resulted in me having a hardened heart of hatred and anger um, towards anything and anyone in which I started rebelling in primary school. Um, It was challenging to... It was challenging to... do anything as a kid. Um, so in primary school, I was finding it really hard to um, listen and it was really difficult to, for me to learn. Mm, um, yeah. I couldn't focus properly in primary school. Um, I was completely shut down from wanting to learn anything um, and it was challenging just to even be a kid or feel feel like a kid in primary school. 
Um, uh, all I wanted to do was hurt because that's all I knew. Um, I was I I intimidated kids in school, um, the big bully, and I was uncontrollable. Um, I went from school to school being expelled and um, my parents couldn't handle me and I was always getting hidings from my father, but but it never stopped me from rebelling. Yeah. Um, I remember my parents also enrolling me into a specialised um, school for students with behavioural and emotional difficulties and they thought that this school would help me be a better person, but... It wasn't long after until um, I was expelled from that school as well. Um, so was that just I was barely, fighting and things? Yeah, just, um, just like, just being naughty in class. And um, I was always, you know how in primary school you're getting, like you have t- um, parents and teachers meetings? Um yeah, well, my parents always came to those and I, w- I was never getting a good report. I was always, um, you know, just doing something wrong in class and always um, being a bully in school. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. it's understandable for what you had gone through and not being believed. I mean, um, I couldn't imagine um, how tough that would have been for you. Um, so, yeah, so what happened from um, there, from that school? Yeah, so... Um, so, okay, so I started becoming sexually active at a young age um, and I was always attracted to older men that were triple my age. I never had a close bond with my father and I had so much um, hatred and bitterness towards him. Um, I always felt um, rejected by him compared to my siblings. Um, so I would tell people that I was adopted and um, because I believed my own lie, I convinced myself at a young age that I didn't belong to my parents, and um, and I remember when I was younger, I used to I used to always crave and have that desire to look for my real father. Um, so yeah. So well, I'm again. I'm so sorry to hear about to say um, heartbreaking. Um, so, so you were getting expelled, moving all over Western, um, Sydney there. Um, so like, um, sorry, I just had a mind blank. Um, so from there, so, um, I guess, so did you end up leaving school or after that time or did you, um, we just sort of like, where did you, where did it go from there? So you were shaking up with older men. Yes. Um, um, like, was drugs yeah, involved so, at all? Um, before? Yes. Yeah. So, um, because um, because of like the the expulsions and all that, and um, my parents couldn't handle me, so they sent me to New Zealand. Um, they sent me to New Zealand to live with my with my grandparents, and I stayed there for one year in nineteen. I think it was 1996. Okay, whereabouts? And in Auckland, in Otara. Yeah. And um, what was that like coming back here after living in Sydney? It would have been a big difference. Yeah, I was I was um, about nine or ten when I moved to New Zealand for one year to stay with my grandparents. So it was. A, a lot different atmosphere living with my grandparents. Um, I I really looked up to my nana. Um, she she never once failed to show me love and make me feel loved. Um, she treated me like I was her own daughter, and she gave me what I yearned for, which was love, um, understanding, and time. Um, and yeah, she's actually uh, she passed away in two thousand and ten. So. Um, yeah, just living in New Zealand, um, it was a different lifestyle. And I also was doing a lot well in school as well here mm. in New Zealand. Um, yeah. So and, then, uh, and then after a year and a half, I went back to Australia to live with my parents and um, hoping for a better life with them. But um, it, it got worse. 
Yeah. When I came back, yeah. So this was and when you were like 10, 11? Yeah, you, when I was, yeah. When, when I was back. about 11 years old, I came back, yeah. So, um, yeah, so when did drugs sort of enter the picture? Was that in your early teens as well, or was that a bit after? Yeah, um, yeah so in um, 1998, um, at the age of 11, um, a couple of weeks before I left New Zealand to come back to my parents in Australia, um, I started hanging out with a cousin at his house. And um, he took me um, to one of his friend's house um, in the area and they were smoking pot and he asked me if I wanted to try it. And I thought to myself, yeah, why not? Um, so after my first experience at the age of 11 with uh, marijuana, it was a perfect result. And I love the feeling of the temporary happiness um, that it gave me. Um, I only began using it innocently. And then it wasn't until when I returned to Australia and started high school, um, that's when I started smoking cigarettes and drinking alcohol as well. Um, it didn't help that meeting new friends that also um, smoked pot and drinking um, wasn't going to bed on my use because we were smoking during and after school and I was also smoking at home um, secretly. Um, so ultimately by a few months I became addicted to pot and found myself going to de um, desperate lengths um, in trying to get what I wanted and I longed for it on a daily basis. So I started, so I smoked pot for 14 years almost every day to numb the hurt and then um, in 2000, um, I started getting into the more heavier drugs, which is the ice. Um, so how old were you then? Um, so in 2000, I was um, so in 2000, I was about 12. Wow! So at 12 years old, you started smoking ice. Yeah. So who's um, who with? Like, was these just people in the area, or? Um. Yeah, so I was introduced um, to the ice by my pot dealer um, and I started smoking it on my own. Then later on, I started smoking it with my brother on a daily basis and it didn't take long for me to be addicted to that as well. Um, and so during the, those years from year 1999 to 2012, um, I smoked ice for about 12 years as well. And also in between those years, I was also introduced to other drugs like um, the gas, the speed, the base, um, Eckes pills, morphine, heroin, G, bup, and methadone. Oh, so like what sort of ages like were you getting into, you know, bup and heroin and that? Um, so were you injecting it? Uh, as well or smoking it or yeah so in 2008 um I, I i did have a heroin habit um i was injecting it for a year for a year for a year and a half yeah. um with my partner that i was with at the time um and yeah the first drug that i injected was actually the ice and then it just led into other drugs that I started injecting. And um, I think I was injecting drugs for around about, that started from 2008 to 2012. So like, so um, going back to as a teenager, like out in Western Sydney, and that was that pretty common, like drug use and um, that sort of thing? Yeah. So in Southwest Sydney, I never heard anything about the needles, or injection. Um, I was only like kind of like surrounded by marijuana and, and alcohol, but then it wasn't until I moved to the Western Sydney, which is Penrith, um, that's where like you see the more heavier drugs and, um, and injection as well. That's where that was the area that I was in introduced with the syringes. Yeah. yeah. So what about sort of crime and stuff? Um you know, drug use and crime sort of go hand in hand. So when did sort of crime into your life? Um, what sort of age? Like what were you sort of your first offences that you were sort of committing? 
Um, yeah, so I was a type of person that was a one out. Um, and what I mean by one out is I like doing jobs on my own um, and not with a koi. Um, and when I started getting addicted to the pot in 1999, I went to desperate lengths um, to make money to support my habits. So I started a thing called Day to Day. And so what day to day means, it's um it's door to door knocking where, and it was like my own unique way of making quick, fast cash. And so um, I would go around knocking on people's doors and making up a lie to get money from them. Um, you could say that I had the gift of the gab of knowing how to act, speak and deceiving someone to believe me. Um, and so, yeah, I calculated that um, if I, did 10 to 15 houses at $10 each, it would be enough for my quarter of pot that would last me a few days. Um, so by the end of the day, all the walking and catching trains to different areas um, would exhaust me. And so I did this job for approximately about 12 years on and off um, when I wasn't working. And so then in 2000, when I started getting addicted to the meth, I led myself into more desperate lengths to support my ice habit. And so um, I did a thing called HG and um, HG stands for hot gossip. And basically um, I would pretend to be a prostitute and meet up with men on the chat line, con them in thinking that I was scoring drugs for them, um, take their money. And it was no less than $200 and never, and I never returned. And I did this job for about 12 years on and off as well. Wow. All right, so, okay, so you're robbing them. So you're getting them to come down with the cash and robbing them. Um, yeah. So at what age were you, did you start doing that? Um, so the age that I started the ICE, which was at the age of uh, 15, um, and... With the door-to-door, -door, I started that at a really young age, I think maybe 12 or 13. Yeah. So like, what, yeah. What, what, what was it like in the streets in Sydney for a 15-year-old, you know, Polynesian girl? Um, can you sort of describe what the streets were sort of like? Um, for me, um, I had to grow up. I felt like I had to grow up on my own. Um, I um the streets back then um like i had i had a lot of fun um just like drinking up with the islanders and um was it dangerous just, at all was it dangerous um, at times or no not that i can remember no yeah. yeah, not that I can remember. I, don't, I, I didn't see much. I just, um, I was just a loner, mm. yeah. like, at a really young age. Um, I didn't really get taught much, but I learned a lot, if you know what I mean, and mm. I kind of, like, taught myself how to live and how to survive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What about your like uh, your siblings? Were they did they follow this path at all, or were you sort of like the black sheep of the family, or because of what had happened? Um, or yeah, um, yeah, you could say that I was the black sheep of the family, but now I'm the white sheep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I yeah I my siblings um, I wasn't really close to them. Mm. I only smoked ice with my brother, but we weren't, like, really close. It was mainly my siblings um, that were closer. My brother and sister were heaps close, and I was kind of, like, on my own. Yeah. But, so, so, yeah. So when did you end up leaving home? Like, did you, so through all the drug use and things, were you still staying at home or were you sort of couch hopping or? Um, yeah, so at the age of 15, um like, because mum and dad gave up on me, um, they just let me do whatever I wanted. So I was staying at home, but I was also out, like, probably 80% of the week somewhere else, and then the other 20% I was at home. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and it wasn't until in December 2006 I went to jail. Okay, so how old were you when, when you went to prison? Um, so I was about... Twenty years old. Twenty years old. So, do you mind yeah. talking about that? So, like, what sort of was the offence, and um, what was the feeling of, you know, getting pinched and? Can you still see me? Yeah. Oh, yeah sorry. Yeah. Not all good. All good. I'm just. Someone just called and I just hanged up. Oh, yeah, um, no, I see this. Yeah, my first prison sentence was in December 2006. Um, I was on bail for a crime um, that was in the newspaper um, and I wanted to, oh, and it was um, robbery with intent um, and it happened in East Hills in 2004. So, um, and I was highly drunk when, when that offence happened and so I was on the run for about a year and a half and detectives um, found me when my parents and I moved to Penrith. Yeah. Um, so I ended up on bail on those charges in 2006 and then I breached my bail conditions for malicious wounding on my brother. Um, oh, wow. um, I did my first lagging in maximum security in Malua in Silverwater um, and after I got sentenced um, in June 2007, I did the remaining of my sentence um, in Berrima. So how was um, um, so how was it going into prison um, when you first um, when you sort of describe your first day going to prison? So did you go back in on like some sort of remand center? Is it like Silverwater or? Yeah, so I was in um, remand for about six months. Um, and I guess the first time entering a prison in 2006, um, I was unsure of what to um, expect or what I was walking into. Um, I thought jail was what it looked like on TV, but mm. it's definitely not like that. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, it's definitely not nothing like Wentworth. Um, though I still felt I had to be tougher than I was as I felt the culture and um, the standards in there didn't allow me to be vulnerable. Mm, yeah. Um, and most of my jail time in 2006 to 2012, I was always on the methadone. So even though I didn't really have a heroin habit, like it wasn't as bad as the ice habit, um, I only jumped on the methadone to make my time go faster. Yeah, as a lot of prisoners and us do. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, can you sort of, so what's it like when you walk into the unit sort of thing? Like, um, do you get like approached by other Islander Islanders or is it like sort of like that or do you just sort of? Yeah. Just... Yeah. So, um, the first time going in, man, the Islander girls were really, really helpful towards me. Um, uh, they had already prepared a bag of toiletries for me, um, and I didn't know these girls, you know, but they were so helpful when I came in and I felt I felt welcomed. Um, and it kind of like just took my mind away from thinking or like worried about what I was walking into, you know. And honestly, I, I believe that jail is like school or like a hospital. Mm. Um, and as the years went on doing time, I realised that, you know, we, we we are all broken and that we all have all of us girls or all of us prisoners, um, we've all got a past. Um, we all need healing and, yeah, and I started realising that, you know, because I started seeing people that went through the same things that I went through in my own life. Yeah. And and the answer is, um yeah, the answer is Jesus. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So, um like so so how long did you end up doing that first sentence like um how long did you end up getting for the for the assault and the robbery yeah so the first one was 15 months all up so i served nine months on the bottom and uh the rest on parole but yeah. um but like that 
coming to think of it, it's kind of like setting you up. Like, well, this is my mindset that I used to have back in back then was the parole is kind of like a setup to bring you back mm-hmm. in. Not not a setup, but we make our own choices. But um, yeah, that's the parole part. That's what always brought me back into jail because I couldn't, I couldn't um accomplish my parole. Like there was always something breached or so then I was always in and out every single year from 2006 to 2012 for something. Yeah, yeah no, I agree with you. It is a setup. Um, but like, so how was it when you were sort of first released? Like, what was that feeling like? Did you go straight back onto the drugs or was it, did you sort of um, learn your lesson in a way and want to stay out or how was your mindset then? Um, yeah, the first time going or uh, coming out um n- no uh, like um yeah I was I wanted to use again um did you use in prison at all um, while you were inside um yes I did I, I used in there right up until um Jesus saved me so in 2012 yeah so were you sort of surprised when you realized that there are drugs in prison or did you sort of already know that or yeah, like I realized that there was a lot of drugs in the in the women's prison at that time when I was there. Yeah. But um yeah, I was always on the methadone, so yeah. So you're yeah. more getting on like the meth, is it in prison and things and um yeah, a couple of times, yeah. Yeah. A couple of times, yeah. Well, it was so mostly you... pop. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So can you sort of describe it all like sort of um because you know so a lot of the obviously i've interviewed mainly men so um i guess can you sort of paint a picture at all of like how the women's prisons sort of um work like did you get into much trouble in there or did you sort of stay out of it and it was sort of like a racial makeup like it is in men's prisons or um yeah, like um, before I gave my life to Christ, I did get into a lot of a lot of um, um, I, I, I did get a lot into trouble with the officers there, like just being disobedient, not following directions, fighting a lot, um, uh, fighting over drugs, and just really ridiculous things. <laughs> mm. um, uh, there was a lot of groups and cliques in there, so. Um, some groups were more powerful than others. Um, and, but um, I was really well respected in there. Um, so I kind of, I'm the type of person that I got along with anyone. And um, yeah, I would go to Desperate Limps to do anything for anyone in there. So um, in my first lag and then I've done, um, I actually, um, organized Islander Day for the girls in Berrimah. And so um, me and a couple of girls, um, we um, organized that. And, yeah, it was actually a really good experience um, because the governor actually approved for us to get food sent in from the outside, Islander food and and costumes and that. Um, So, yeah. No, so organizing that's a big deal. So, yeah, Yeah, you must have been pretty well respected and things in there and... um... I guess in the hierarchy, is it? Um, I wouldn't consider myself as a hierarchy, but um, just like um, I had a lot of friends, a good like good friends in there, yeah. So, and girls um, that were girls that did a lot of time, um, more old school than me. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so yeah, so basically you were in and out after that, so. Uh, what was sort of the longest that you did stay out and like how were you breaching your paroles and things like that? Was it mainly drug use, like the drug tests or yeah, so um at first when I got out, I had a I got a really strict parole officer and um there were times where I I forged my urine test. Um yeah. and um <laughs> one time I drank apple cider vinegar because someone told me that apple cider vinegar cleans out your system. And when I drank it, my, my urine still came back um, positive. 
So my parole officer um, told me that I had to go to a rehab. So I went to a few rehabs when I was um, like on parole, but I never accomplished any of them. I always ran away from rehab or um, just got dismissed because of I couldn't comply to the rules there. Um, and so, yeah, what was the question? Sorry. Oh, so how were you like breaching paroles and like what was the longest you stayed out? Yeah, the longest that I stayed out would have to be um, from 2012 onwards. So that was before you ended up finding Jesus? or Yes, um, that was the year. 2012 was a very special year where um, I found the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I got out, um, I got married and I stayed out for quite a long time. Oh, okay, yep. But, yeah. so, but so prior to that, so we'll, we will go on to that. But so prior to that, like mm-hmm. how long had you stayed out for? Like was it just like a couple months sort of thing or? Yeah. So I only lasted for like six months or less. Mm. It wasn't anything more than six months or even like a week. No, not a week, sorry. Um, the less, the, the minimum would probably be like a month. And then I'd be going back in. Wow. So this was for how many years? Um, so six years on and off. But every year I went in, but it was either twice a year or sometimes three times a year. But can I sort of ask what were the, what were considered like the toughest prisons? Like uh, as a woman? Like what prison what was- is the toughest? Yeah, no, or what was considered like a scary prison or like... um... Um, Yeah, so I believe, so in the beginning before you go to the Maximum Women's, we go to a place called Surrey Hills Holding Cell. And when I first seen that, um, man, it really felt like jail in there, you know. Um, Just, yeah, it was just... um, really like there was just a whole bunch of people in the one cell and you know um it was just really dirty and stuff so I think sorry he was holding cell and I think a lot could relate to what I'm saying that that would probably be the most scariest um jail that I've ever seen um Malawa is okay for maximum um uh yeah I just I just feel that jail is kind of, for the girls' side, it's kind of like school. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I get what you mean, yeah. definitely. Um, yeah. but did you have any sort of scary moments in there? Or was it sort of fairly, um, you were sort of like um, already on the ball and things? So when I went into jail, I'm not sure if this is scary, but um, I did kind of like, become bisexual in there um and just um just being yeah (laughs) um but scary um just kind of like being on remand for such a long time and waiting to see what what you're going to get when you get sentenced is probably the most anxious thing in there for me um, there were never sort of any like physically, like where you thought, you know, something might bad might happen to you or like physically or violent, like something like that. Well, I did have a couple of fights. They were pretty intense, but, um, you know, I did, um, I did do what I had to do. And I think that's what helped me to grow as well. Um, so, yeah, I always got, yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Oh, good. I, no, did, I, I did get a. I did get into a lot of um trouble with the officers as well. Just um, you know, they were just fed up with me in there. Um, they were just yeah. I was just like getting caught smoking in different areas and um, just being really just being like a little rebel in there, you know. Yeah, do they have the slot in there, like um, solitary, or what's that? Oh, like where you're kept by yourself, like say after a fight or anything like that. Like they oh, sort of... 
Segro. Yeah, Segro. Yeah, Segro. Um, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, you just brought a memory. Yeah, I was always in Segro. <laughs> yeah, for fighting or doing something bad, you know. I was always doing like three weeks Segro a month. Yeah, and I was taking off phone calls and taking off buy-ups and it was really hard, yeah. So what was that sort of like for you, like that first Segro experience, um, you know, like being kept by yourself, nothing but your thoughts, and then again, no phone calls as well? Yeah, it was really, really challenging for me. Um, I remember one time I was in Segro, um, my this finger here, um, I was so bored that I started picking at my finger and I actually picked like, if you can see my finger, like just, yeah, just one centimetre of flesh. Um, And that was just like boredom inside Mm. Segro and just, um, you know, just reflecting on, you know, my behaviours in there and, yeah, I think it's a segue is okay to like have time on your on your own and just but still it it didn't really help if someone's not willing to change. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. You get, what, what's the um how does it work over there in the women's jail? So do you get like an hour out of your cell and and a cage oh, or yeah. something or <laughs> yeah, so you get an hour out every day. Oh, every day. Um and you know, it's just in the common area where um there's a sink microwave to heat your food um make that one phone call and then you're locked back in again um some uh there was there was times where i didn't even get to have that one hour out i was just in my cell the whole day uh, because they were busy they couldn't let me out Mm. the officers were busy to let me out so there were a few days where i couldn't get out um and just having like no window um, and just a little bit of air, um, yeah, yeah, in your cell, it was pretty hard to just sit in there and stare at four walls. Yeah, yeah, yeah it definitely is. It definitely is. Oh, so man, thank you for sharing, Susanna. Thank That's you. Um, so yeah. yeah, so you're in and out of jail, um, drugs hard drugs going on to um, prison, you know, I'm assuming that, you know, you were getting adjusted to prison life as well, getting used to it. Um, So that's sort of a setup to pretty much spend the rest of your life in in that cycle. Um, So yeah, yeah, where did it change for you? So you went, you ended up going back to prison. Like, What did you end up going back to prison for that time? The last time? Um, Oh, okay. So, um, In 2012, uh, yeah, so do you want me to talk about the Lord? Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, so you, you, did you end up finding the Lord in prison, is it? Yeah, so um, in 2011, um, I I was really close friends with this girl in jail and um, her name was Eddie. And, um, like, um, she was a pretty hectic girl and, um, you know, I started seeing a change in her and I started seeing her fruits and I started seeing her read the word of God and um, just praying. I've walked in, in on her praying um, on her knees a few times and and for some reason something, like, touched me every time I see, like, I started seeing her fruits and how she loved um, Jesus. And um, so anyways, I got out in 2011 after that lagging, and then I went straight back onto the ice. I met I met another partner, and um, and we started. Um, I started picking up where I left off from on hot gossip chat line, um, and then um, it wasn't until one day I kind of like was really um, was really over the life. I I was I was in I was sitting in our lounge room and. Um, it's funny because everywhere I went for those past years, I always carried a Bible with me. I don't know why, but it was, it felt like it was like something to carry with me everywhere I went. So um, 
in my lounge room at the time, I always had the Bible opened up on a little coffee table and just left there, you know. And um, there was one day where I was just just over this life, eh? just over robbing people on the chat line, um, over trying to look for money just to support my, me and my partner's habit at the time. And so, like, I turned to the, my head kind of, like, turned to the Bible and that was sitting there and and I just, tears were rolling down my face. And um, and I said to myself, in, I said to, in my head, I said, God, if you are real, please help me. I didn't know God, but I just thought to call out to him because I needed something to help me, you know. And so, um, anyways, three days later, go back on the chat line, I keep doing what I was doing. Um, there was one particular moment where, uh, so there was a guy named Michael and he was supposed to be someone that I was going to con. Anyways, um, he was, uh, he came, uh, so what happened was when he called me, because I usually give the clients a different, a fake address. So he called me when he, when he got to the front and he goes, oh, I'm in the front. Anyway, so I'm quickly getting ready. Just before I hit the front door, I get this feeling in my stomach and something was telling me, not this one. Um, and I can't even explain the feeling, but previously from all the, the robberies that I used to do before this one, I was so confident and I didn't, and I, I didn't really care. But this one, it was like a fear, came, a fear came over me and something was like telling me, not this one. So I'm holding my stomach in the front door. And my partner at the time was saying, well, what are you doing, Sana? Are you going to go? And I said, nah, something, um, something's telling me, not this one. And he was like, oh, you're just paranoid. You're just paranoid. Just go and do it. And so we ended up having an argument because I realized that he didn't care what I was feeling. And so I said, you know what? Um, I'm going to go bring him in. So, And I usually don't bring in men like men that I don't know, into my own home. So anyways, I go in the front and I meet Michael and he comes in and then he walks in and he says that he's from the rebels. And so I thought that that feeling was kind of based on that, but it didn't really intimidate me or scare me. But anyways, long story short, um, I ended up leaving with Michael the next day and um, we end up because my partner and I had an argument, I left with Michael. And so we walked to the park and he was like saying to me, um, why did you do, why, why did you do, why do you do what you do on the chat line? And, and I said to him, look, I've got a drug habit. You know, I had to do what I got to do. Like I told him straight out, you know? And so he was really angry. And then he said to me, you need to go to jail today. Cause at the time I was on a warrant. I had a warrant out for my arrest. So um, he turned around and said to me, you need to go to jail today. And I said, no, I'm not going to go to jail. I'm not ready for it. And he goes, no, you need to go because it's a start to your new, this is a start to your new life. And man, as soon as he said those words, something just hit me. And it was like, I wanted to know more what this new life he was talking about, you know? And he just kept, I said, no, I'm not ready to go in. And he just kept saying to me, you need to go to jail. This is the start to your new life. And then, like, anyways, I, um, I, he ended up dropping me off to my brother's house. My mum, uh, I ended up going into jail that night. And I got Michael's number. I put it on the Aranta and I called him up. Um, and the only thing he kept saying to me was, this is a start to your new life. This is a start to your new life. And I'm thinking, what the heck is this guy going on about? But for some reason, I was really interested in, in knowing what this new life was, you know. And so anyways, um, the one day during lock-in, oh, so one day me and my Sally, she did a palm reading because back then I was into that sort of stuff. I was into palm readings and, and card readings and just like psychic sort of stuff. And Marcelli, um, she she read my palm and she was looking at my hand and she's like tilting her head and she she goes, oh, you died and came back to life again. And I'm just like, and I was like, what the heck? And straight away the, the, the thing that came to me was only Jesus did that, you know. And then I just started spinning out and she kept looking at my hand and she was just like, she had to double check whether she was seen wrong. You know, but 
yeah, she just kept saying, no, you just died and came back to life again. And then I was just like, okay. And then that night I just could not sleep eh, because something just came over me. I don't know what it was. Anyways, the next day I had a fight with my celly and I, I kicked her out of the room. I said, I want to stay in my room on my own tonight. I just, yeah. Anyways, I think it was meant to be. I was meant to be in the cell by myself. And so when it came to lock-in time, it was just like, because I was also coming down off the off the drugs as well, I was just like, it was just like I just had enough. I just got to the point where I was just crying in my cell and I was like thinking, is this my life? Like, is this what it is? Like in and out of jail for these for the for those last few years on drugs like I just couldn't see no stability I just couldn't see no um no hope there in front of me I just couldn't um it was like I might as well just end my life that's where I was at um I I felt suicidal and um so anyways I'm sitting on my bed and I'm crying I wasn't crying to God I was just crying to myself and then Next thing you know, I turned over my head to the TV. I seen that my celly left a book there. So for some reason, something just told me to get up and grab the book. I grabbed the book and it was one of those devotional books. Um, and um, I just happened to turn the, page, the book over just to read the back of it. And it said, Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. And um, straight away, man, I just bursted out in tears. I was just like, I can't even explain. I was like, I was screaming to God for help. It was like, like there was nothing left for me, you know. And straight away I said, Jesus, if you are real, please help me. And I said it out loud. Sorry. That's fine. It's okay. I said, Jesus, if you are real, please help me. And then, boom, straight away, I kind of like wiped my eyes and I looked up and he was standing right there just above my forehead. And um, he had his arms wide open like this. And he was just all white, all glow. I couldn't see his face. It was just all light. And um, he was, it was just whiter than white. He was just like a bright light. And, man, he, when he stood there, the only words that came out of my mouth were, oh, my gosh, Lord, oh, oh my gosh, Jesus, you look so beautiful. I kept repeating it and repeating those words. Like I couldn't get over how beautiful he looked in front of me. And so he was standing there for about 10 seconds and um, and then he, as he was standing there, I could feel like this, um, it was kind of, I, I, I believe it was the Holy Spirit he was pouring over me because it was like I was getting goosebumps from head to toe. And straight away the burden just left me, like straight away he gave me his peace and hope. And I felt so comforted and I felt so loved. And from that moment on, I knew that that was what was missing in my life was Jesus. And then that was the day that I believed. And so, um, oh. and so, um, yeah, I remember after he showed himself to me, I was lying there on my bed and I was thinking, wow, like, how are you going to fix my life? Lord? Like, it's such there's a, there's a lot but the lord comforted me knowing that he 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 put hope in me that it's going to be okay i've got this is what he was saying like i felt that from him and so yeah from that moment on it was like he gave me his strength because the next day man i started going through temptation and i could it was like the lord showed me how the enemy works so like Girls were actually coming up to me, offering me drugs for free, and 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 the Lord was giving me the strength to say no. And like I started seeing how the spiritual realm um, was like the spiritual realm, like how the Satan works, you know. 
And and then I realized that I was under Satan's um, spell or curse for such a long time and I didn't even realize that, that I was, you know, I was under his kingdom. I was under Satan's kingdom until Jesus saved me. That's when I realized that Satan had me for a very long time and I didn't realize that. And so, um, yeah, so uh, ever since then, um, you know, ever since the Lord showed himself to me, my life has been so much better. I mean, I have gone through a lot of challenges since 2012 till now, um, but I'm so grateful for them because, what the Lord showed me over the years since then, since 2012, was that I had so much healing to go through, um, just healing from the trauma, trauma things that I went through in my past. And it doesn't happen overnight, but sometimes we have to go through things so then we can grow to um, grow to love the Lord, grow to be obedient in Jesus, um, and grow to have the fear of the Lord, because wisdom starts with having fear of the Lord, not not fear of man, but fearing God to not turn back to our wicked ways. Yep, most definitely, Sana, yep. Yeah, and so, um, man, I started seeing a lot of transformation happening in my life. Like, so in that time when I was in jail, I was meant to look at doing two years for something. And um, the Lord um, cut down my sentence and gave me a suspended uh, Section 10 bond. So I started seeing miracles happen in my life, mm. and it was simply because of my faith um, in Jesus. And even my my lawyers, they were like astounded at why, how come I got such a lower sentence when I should be looking at this? But I just held my cross up at them in the courtroom and said, it's not me, it's Jesus. Like he's literally, um, you know, forgiven me and he's, he's, the re- he's, the, he's the answer to everything, you know. And so they were just so like shocked. But anyways, um, uh, when I got out, I was blessed with marriage as well because I never believed that I was worthy of marriage. Um, I didn't think that I would marry an Islander as well because I was always dating white boys. Um, so, yeah, I just I realised that the devil had such a hold of a big lie. Like I, I didn't think I was worthy of Islander guys. That's what I used to think when I was younger. Um, so, yeah, the Lord blessed me with um, my husband. And so we got married and um, we've had some challenges in our marriage as well um, where the enemy has tried to separate us just, you know, and but, you know, praise the Lord. Um, he's still working in our marriage and I'm learning to be submissive as well towards my husband in the Lord. So, um yeah, the Lord's um, just been so good and even the reconciliation with my father. So what happened was from 2006 to 2011, my father never visited me, not once in jail. But when the Lord, after the Lord showed himself to me, um, man, I started, he started healing my heart and started giving me a fresh new love for my father because I used to hate my dad so much back then. And Man, it was like something was happening to my heart, like towards my dad, eh? And like, um, I asked, you know, I just asked the Lord to um, help me to forgive my dad and to help me to love my dad. And and he did exactly that. And then it wasn't long after my dad came and visited me on his own. And that was the first time he ever visited me in, in, a, in, in a New South Wales prison was when the Lord, after the Lord, um, showed himself to me was when my own dad started like he he came to visit me so um my relationship with my dad over the years has been a lot better and like man I love my dad so much and it's only because of Jesus you know um yeah so we get along so well now because of the Lord um yeah so he's healed a lot of things um from my past and yeah I just love him so much. <laughs> oh man, God is good, isn't he? Um, yeah. Oh man, what a story, son. Um, what an experience that would have been in your cell too in prison to have an experience like that. You know, like um, me myself, you know, I walk with the Lord now as well. Um, you know, mm. he changed my life and only 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 he can change our lives in that way. Um, healing all the trauma and uh things mm. like that. Um, 
I haven't had an experience quite like that, but, you know, I have seen an angel before and, you know, it was beautiful, um, Yeah. bright light, you know, completely white. It's just, um, yeah, and he gave me the strength to, to make the change as well. Um, Yeah. so, yeah, I mean, um, again, God is good. Um, so what, what's happening in your life now at the moment? So what's going on? So you're back here in New Zealand now? Yeah. So, okay. So I'm back here in New Zealand. Um, I came back to reconcile my marriage with my husband because um, there was a time where we were um, going through separation and it was getting to the point where we were um, nearly going to get divorced, but God saved our marriage. Um, so I came back to New Zealand to reconcile with my husband and now I'm studying full-time at Laidlaw College, um, doing my diploma in Christian studies. Um, so I'm studying Old Testament introduction, formation, intercultural studies and um, uh, uh, systematic theology. Um, and so the purpose for this course is to grow in the love of God and the gospel um, and to build more skills Um, as I believe God is calling me to prison chaplaincy. Um, I have travelled some parts in New Zealand, like Wellington, um, doing the Lord's work here. Um, and so I currently attend um, a ministry called Just Jesus Ministry, and um, which actively preaches and lives out the gospel. Um, and so air preaching, door knocking, handing out pamphlets and sharing the gospel here in New Zealand have helped me with my interpersonal and communication skills. Um, And I'm also writing an autobiography book on my life and testimony. And, yeah, I'm just learning to obey Jesus every day, um, learning to be led by the Holy Spirit. Um, and, yeah, I, I believe that me and Jesus are getting closer. Like he's always been close to me, but, you know, sometimes we choose to run away from him, but he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And so, you know, just... I believe that I'm getting more closer to him because I'm, because yeah, our connection is like this now. Like it's just really, really close, you know. Um, I'm always seeking him to help me every day, you know, to help me overcome the challenges, to help me overcome whatever the world throws at, throws at us, you know. it's the only way to live isn't it straight It's up the once only, you walk with yeah. the once you walk with the lord there's no other way it's just like man I should have started doing this ages ago you know Yeah. but um yeah you know satan he's like a lion you know he seeks to devour on the daily so Yeah. um you know but Yeah. yeah it's good having that protection eh? that shield there of faith and it just quenches every fiery dart of the wicked one so Amen, brother. Yeah. yeah so yeah so yeah you're studying now you're in god's graces um man what a journey you know what an uh what an awesome journey that that you've had and a testimony if oh, i can't wait for that book hopefully that um doesn't take you Yeah. too long to write <laughs> Um, yeah, so there have been challenges on the way with delay, like this book has been delayed a lot. And um um I've been yeah, so um so it was meant to be published last year, but um Okay. my aim is for this the end of this year Yeah, yeah, is the yeah. deadline. <laughs> yeah, so um yeah, we can't I can't delay it anymore because Jesus is coming back very, very soon. And Yeah. so Yeah, the I know. the one thing, yeah. The one thing that I'm fearful of is like when when I get judged by the Lord, He's I don't want Him to look at like to say, you know, I told you to do this and you never done it. You know, that's one thing I'm really fearful of, like just like making sure that He's calling upon my life, everything will be fulfilled. Um, and so um, yeah, so I'll be um, publishing that book this year and. Um, Yeah, and the book is called um, It Is Finished. It is finished. Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. I'm excited for that. And definitely, yeah, nah, stick to that. Yeah, no more waiting now. Um, Yeah, yeah nah, I can't, amen. I can't wait to read that. Um, oh, man, what a story. Honestly, Sana, what, a, what an incredible story. Um, thank you so much for sharing. Um, Thank you for having me, David. oh, well, so is there sort of, uh, so to anyone watching, you know, to any uh, girl or teenager or woman, You know, that is, um, you know, where you were um, in life, 
Is there any sort of message that you would have to them to sort of um? Oh, can you oh. see me? No, nah, no. Nah. Okay, sorry, sorry. Um, no, we're good. Take your time. Yeah, hold on two seconds. Um, you're there, sorry. Yeah, no, all um, good, all good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, would you do, do you have a, a message for them? Um, yeah, so my encouragement, um is, uh, you know, whatever you may be going through, um, whatever situation you're going through, um, you know, I encourage you to, um, to seek Jesus um, because he will help you with every, every circumstance that you're going through. There is nothing impossible to him. There is nothing that he can't do. Um, you know, knock. There's a there's a scripture in the word um, in Matthew. Um, it says, "Knock and the door will be open to you. Seek and you shall find." Um, uh, yeah. So, like, um, hold on. Can I just look for that scripture? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I know it well. I know it well. <laughs> I just want to make sure I say the whole scripture. Um, yeah. Okay, Matthew seven. Ask and it shall be Hello? Yep. Yeah, sorry. Um, so the scripture that came to mind was Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open to you. So, um, yeah, like I encourage, um, I encourage you to like, yeah, you know, if you're going through anything, call out to Jesus um, because, you know, um, he was my, he was like my last resort and, you know, he's done so much in my life. And so, um, yeah, he, I know that he's capable of doing so much more in your life. And, um, you know, he loves you so very much um, and he's calling his children back to him. You know, everyone in this world belongs to Jesus, but it's up to us whether we choose to um, to accept him as our Lord and Saviour or, um, you know, we choose to just go on about our own lives and, and you know. But, yeah, um, I encourage you that, you know, Jesus, he, man, he's done so much in my life and he could do so much in yours and he's just the answer to everything. Whether you're going through divorce or separation or drug use or, um, you know, just feeling depressed and suicidal, man, Jesus is the answer, man. He can save you from all that and he can give you, he can give you his peace and his peace, it, it it's more powerful than the peace that the this world can give you. You know, um, this world will only give you grief, but Jesus, He is the answer for your peace, and 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 not necessarily a peace that you know having materialistic things and being rich or whatever. No, that's not the peace. It's the peace that knowing, like, just peace, um, just being free inside being free inside and he's done exactly that to my life and I believe that if he can change my life um from just and and David's life as well um man he can change and Joey's life if he can do mine and David's and Joey's life man well yeah. there's nothing that's impossible you yeah. know and um, but it's just up to us whether we choose whether we want to and I just pray that the Lord's will will be done in each and every one of your lives. And um, 
I pray that, you know, um, that, um, that one day um, you will, you will, um, you will seek him and you will find him in Jesus name. I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen, sister. Um, you know, it says it in the Bible, you know, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Um, Amen. You know, it's, um, it's not hard to seek him. It's as easy as knocking on the door. You know, like um, something that guides me is a scripture from the book of Daniel. I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, uh, uh, do not fear Daniel the moment that um, you, you look to gain understanding. And the moment you humbled yourself before your God, uh, your voice was heard, you know, and it's um, as simple as that, you know, as soon as you humble yourself and look to God, he, he will hear you, you know, he will hear yes. you. And yes, you just reminded me of that scripture. Um, he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, man, incredible testimony, Sana. Thank you so much for jumping on. I think we'll leave it there. But um yeah, thank you, Jesus. I've been yeah. I've been like the whole week. I've been like, oh Lord, how am I like please let your Holy Spirit flow through me? Like <laughs> I was just like doing my head in about it, but yeah, I'm so grateful that it's done. I did it for Jesus and yeah. Um no, thank you so much, Sana. All right, so um thank you, David. God bless and um peace out. Yeah, and God bless you too, David. And um